Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. And welcome to Illinois listeners to the Illini Inquirer podcast, your audio source for all things Illinois football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm Zach Shaw. Jamie Werner joining me uh, on the phones here. And so last week for, for the Michigan listeners, we had a, we did a little mashup podcast with David Eicholt. Got a lot of positive reviews, so we're bringing it back this week as the Wolverines prepare to take on the Illini. Uh, the Illini Inquirer podcast also runs uh, a couple times a week. They, they have their whole deal as well. Um, but, Jeremy, we can just jump right into questions if you're ready. Uh, Illinois, yeah. first, thing that, first thing that stands out to me, at least you know when I'm doing the preliminary research, is the talent has improved. The team talent composite uh, that our 24-7 that our sports site does does a great job of where guys were ranked in, as recruits. That has drastically improved, at least from what I can gauge, just in the last couple of years with transfers, active transfers, uh, you know, getting recruits, you know, some high-profile recruits both in-state and from other areas. What? How has that gone down? And then, has it translated onto the field yet, or is that, or is that still a work in progress? Yeah, Zach. There's no question. Lovey Smith has a more talented roster than than he inherited. I think he's done a pretty good job of getting Illinois into to bigger recruiting battles. Whether that's um, you know Isaiah Williams and Marquez Beeson, two top mm-hmm. you know two fifty kids who who signed this past year. Sadly, both have been hurt. Beeson out for the year, and and um, Williams just kind of had nagging injuries here. But you know he's gotten top five hundred kids, which for Illinois is a big deal. They hadn't been getting many of those uh, when Tim Beckman was here. They, right. they got a a lot of them when when Ron Zook was here, uh, but their defensive line, offensive lines have greatly improved their talent. Um, but at the end of the day, like you, like you said, if if it doesn't come with winning, then then that points usually to, to coaching. And you know, Lovey Smith inherited a, a disaster of a program. You know, so much turmoil here. But you know, he's now on three recruiting classes. He's now in his fourth year. Um, the offense is in its second year, and. Most of us thought this would be better. Lovey Smith told us it would be better. Um, and, you know, they expected to compete for a bowl game. And they had one of the easiest starts of their schedule ever. They had the easiest non-conference. And then they lose to, to the school a couple miles down the road from you right, guys at Eastern right. Michigan, which Chris Creighton's doing a heck of a job there. But they just lost to Central Michigan by 20-something points. So mm-hmm. uh, that's the first big warning sign for Illini fans then. You know, Nebraska, the score looks okay. If you're if you're like a Michigan fan, you're going to score. Hey, Illinois competed. They're up two touchdowns with, uh, with 16 minutes left in that game. And they had four takeaways, and they still found a way to lose because they gave up almost 700 yards of offense to uh, Scott Frost. And then last week in Minnesota, it wasn't really even that competitive of a game after sure, the first yeah. half. So, uh, and, and that's, that's a program that Illinois fans are going to compare themselves to because, you know, Minnesota and P.J. Fleck, they beat last year ever since. Since then, Minnesota's eight and one, and Illinois is two and six. So, yeah, the, the talent is no doubt better, but that's why everyone's so frustrated here because they see that they see the the transfers who have come here and, and how big of an upgrade they are at wide receiver and Wola Batiku at defensive end, and eventually Luke Ford at tight end. Um, but at the same time, if it's not coming out to wins, that that will reflects poorly on, on the coaching staff. And and Zach, uh, I, I kind of put it out there two weeks ago after Illinois lost to Nebraska. Who was on the hottest seat? Was it Lovey Smith or, or Jim Harbaugh? And I said, no question, Lovey Smith, because mm. I know nationally people talk about Harbaugh all the time. Um, 
But I, I just see how much he's improved that program, even if it's not quite to the, the spot they want. Um, but I know he's improved the talent. He's improved the record. Lovey Smith's improved the talent, but he hasn't improved the record. So, uh, you know, the hot seat talk, I think, should be much more here at Illinois than Michigan. What do you think? Uh, yeah. I mean, you have a much better sense than I do of just what kind of disaster it, it was that, that Lovey Smith inherited. I, I've said on our shows, you know, Illinois is a school you almost – you want to make sure you have the right guy, and that's the that's the you know eternal question. But at the same time, it is something that might take five or seven years, at least from the outside perspective. But a lot of the things you're saying sound a lot like uh, maybe at a different level, but it sound a lot like what Michigan is going through. You know, the last season they they were a good team. Uh, they beat everyone that they faced that wasn't a top ten team, and they were zero and three against the top ten teams. So good team, not a great team. And I know Jim Harbaugh said that after the Peach Bowl uh, when they got romped by Florida, and then he immediately hires Josh Gaddis. They make a few other coaching changes. Uh, it seemed like all offseason was spent thinking this is going to be an offensive-oriented team. Uh, you know, they're, they're adapting some RPO concepts, a little bit more of a pro-spread offense, high-flying, senior quarterback, uh, maybe the best you know offensive talent in the Big Ten with nine returning starters. And so... Again, different school, but similar story where there is talent. There's a lot of on-paper improvements that are expected, and you know they're four and one. So I don't, I don't know if it's. I, I really think that second loss is when people start bringing out the microscopes. But 14 points in regulation against Army, 14 points against Wisconsin, uh, and that was well after the game was was settled, and then 10 points against Iowa in a win. But suddenly it's it's what was, as you kind of point out, if the talent's there and the experience is there, does, do you start to look at the coaching? Right. And, and there is some yeah. execution things. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I totally get, like, frustration. So, like, when I came off as, like, saying uh, the hot seat thing, I, I, I get the frustration of Michigan fans that want to be at that elite level, right? Like, that that's, that's where they want to be. And when you hire Jim Harbaugh and you give him all that money, that, mm-hmm. that's the expectation. Uh, it's just for me, like I, I've seen that program improve, right? I, I think of the seven years before, and they were what eight games under five hundred. I think with him, the actual record in the Big Ten. Oh, I was just gonna say it was seven years before because I have this in your story that you'll have the the five yeah. questions with the Michigan writer, uh, forty six and forty two in the seven years prior, and they are forty two and fifteen since. So there's improvement, yeah. And it's it's one of those things. It's the constant battle I think Michigan fans have to go through is is their improvement, but each year they, they are below Ohio State, and every year that they lose to another good team on the road or lose another bowl game, I think fans wonder, well, how good can it get? Is this the ceiling yeah. with Jim? Is there someone else that can find a new ceiling? And it's it's I, I feel for Michigan fans because you have a rival that you go toe-to-toe with for decades and decades, and suddenly they're just running laps around you and everyone else in the right. Big Ten. That's where the seat gets warm, is I think if this Michigan team kind of fades and they go to an eight and four seven and five type deal i do think people start to look around and say well what 10 and 3 is not supposed to be the good years that's supposed to be kind of the the baseline year so it's a different standard but the same kind of thing where if you see it happen year after year after year and this is the first mm-hmm. team that's all harbaugh's guys uh, then you start to look around and say is is there more is there something else that needs to happen right. what needs to change yeah, I, I totally get that. But then there's also the does the floor drop out with the, with the wrong guy if you hire the mm-hmm. wrong guy. But oh yeah, for, for Illinois, for Illinois, I think that the question is, 
you know, if Lovey Smith can't win with his most talented team yet and, and the guys with his roster, I mean, most of this roster returns next year for Illinois. They're a bunch of juniors. But what makes you think he could be the guy? Because, I mean, hmm. Lovey Smith's supposed to be a defensive guy, right? Um, just like Jim Harbaugh's supposed to be an offensive guy. So there's kind of a parallel here. But the biggest issue for Illinois has been they have had some of the worst defenses in Illinois history here. Um, they're giving up, I think it's the last 11 games in the Big Ten, the last two years, so mostly when he's had his recruits, giving up 45 points per game, more than 580 yards, almost 300 yards on the run in the run game. So it's a great chance for, for Michigan's offense to get right. But that's the frustration. If you have a defensive coach, and he's not coaching defense, um, That then you have to make a change now. Because I agree with you, Zach. I think the, the right guy at Illinois probably needed, you know, five, six, seven years to really get to, you know, maybe being the next, uh, if it's Michigan State or, you know, Iowa or wherever you want to get mm-hmm. to ultimately. But, I mean, the goal only this year was be close to a bowl, five and seven, six and six was really the goal. But even mm-hmm. for me, five and seven and competitive, I think, yeah, that's a step forward. And, and maybe you do have a breakthrough year in 2020, but right now they're, they're sitting at probably looking at two and five with Michigan and Wisconsin in the next couple of weeks. And then can you beat Purdue? Who's really bad right now? Can you Rutgers? They should beat, but then you have Northwestern. I, I, I don't know if they can score on them. So that, that's where Illinois fans are. That's why I think, um, the attendance won't be as good as it should be for for Michigan coming to town for the first time in a while. Yeah, so I have a question about the defense because you're mentioning these stats and you mentioned you have a defensive coach and <laughs> and for those Michigan fans who start to look at the stats and and it, Illinois is getting to the quarterback. <laughs> you know they they've got they've got a lot of sacks on the season. I guess what what do you see as the the whole of the defense and then is there an identity? If it is this. Well, the identity, and I think most people know this from Lovey Smith's era, I mean, the Tampa 2 defense is kind of, you know, what his base is. They like the two high safeties, and they do force a lot of takeaways. It's something they have been good at the last couple of years. They're one of the best in the country at forcing fumbles. They have multiple interceptions. Actually, at Minnesota, they scored two touchdowns on defense. That's where both their touchdowns came from. So they will make big plays that way. The problem is um, you're, you're looking for a strength. I think their their linebackers are pretty solid to good. Uh, Jake Hansen's been probably the defensive MVP. He's got five takeaways by himself this year. A former Michigan commit, Dele Harding, uh, is leading the, the guys in tackles, and he's had a couple big interceptions, including a pick six last week against Minnesota. So those guys have been pretty good. But you mentioned the sacks. Uh, they do have a lot of sacks, but most of those came in the first two games okay. against Akron and UConn. So, so those numbers are really, really inflated. Wole Batiku, who most people mention coming up because he's got seven sacks and <laughs> one of the nation's leaders in sacks, he got five of those in the first two games, including three and a half against UConn. So UConn and Akron, they kind of got fat uh, statistically on that. Okay. those two teams or two of the bottom teams in the country. But I believe it's the last three weeks they have a combined four. So they do get some penetration. Defensive tackle Jamal Milan is pretty good. Jamal Woods uh, can create some disruption, but they just can't stop the run. Um, it, it is something that has been an issue in Lovey Smith's entire tenure. I don't think they're talented enough up front quite yet. Um, Bobby Roundtree, their, their best player last year, tragically had that spinal cord injury, um, so he, he might never play football again, most mm. likely. So. He's recovering in Chicago, but that was an absolute blow to them. Um, but they also just 
their tackling is awful. I'm actually writing a big story on this. And, you know, Lovey Smith's one of those guys who doesn't like to tackle in practice. It's what they do in the NFL. But, okay. you know, Mark D'Antonio and Kirk Ferentz tackle in practice for a reason. And those teams are usually pretty good at it. Um, but they have just missed so many tackles that lead to big plays. Um, and, and some people just wonder if this defense is built to stop. Um, Big Ten offenses and college offenses. So I know Michigan's offense has struggled with Josh Gaddis. I'm interested in your thoughts on that, Zach, but this is probably a nice get right game for them because, you know, the defensive line hasn't been getting a lot of disruption the last couple of weeks. And really the secondary, which we thought was going to be pretty good this year, actually, is it's been pretty disappointing, whether it's safeties tackling or, or missing some assignments in the past game. It's, uh, uh, it's hard to find a strength to this, uh, Illinois defense right now. Sure. Yeah. No. And, and, Michigan needs a uh, needs needs to play Illinois right now. I think you know I mentioned the the point totals, but you know even rushing the ball. I remember at Wisconsin they had uh, well they had they rushed for only forty yards, which is pretty low. But I went back and watched the film and tried to tr- track how how long they had before uh, the running back was hit, so yards before contact, so to speak. They had eleven yards before contact on thirteen carries, and it's just mm. I mean that means you're going nowhere. There were plays where Wisconsin was getting to the running back before the running back was getting the ball, uh, like like when you turn offsides off in Madden mode. And so it's yeah. it's just um, you know everyone knew the run game was going to struggle at least a little bit. Zach Charbonnet uh, for Illinois fans, I could see him having a big game here if if the struggles are are as you describe. He's a former top fifty recruit. He's a true freshman um, from California. He's he's had a little bit of. Uh, some knee soreness the past couple weeks, so his carries are limited, but he rushed for 190 yards in the first two games of the year. Uh, Christian Turner, he's he's a quick, you know, quick, smaller back from Georgia, uh, has had some issues with pass protection and, and some major miscues that have uh, kept kept him out of the game. You know, they had to had to sit him out for a couple series. And then True Wilson's the running back. He's he's a little bit more reliable. He just had a broken hand, uh, suffered in, in week one. So, so the running backs... I could see them statistically doing better. I don't think Michigan's even necessarily expecting them to carry the offensive load this season. It really comes down to Shea Patterson and and the yeah. receivers. Donovan Peoples-Jones, Tariq Black, Nico Collins, all former top 150 recruits, all guys who scouts think can go pro. Now, you know, they do have to produce in games. You can't just be jacked and agile and quick. You know, you do actually have to to put up some numbers and get some good catches and they they have they have in glimpses, but for some reason or another, turnovers have hurt. I do think playing Wisconsin and Iowa defenses hurt two top ten defenses based on uh, a variety of statistics. But really, it, I think the the biggest sign of where this offense is is that Ronnie Bell has been the best receiver, and he was a two star recruit. Uh, Michigan was his only FBS offer. He was going to play basketball at Missouri State, and so it's. But he's just able to improvise. And I think I think that this offense is really stiff, and I don't know if it's learning the new scheme. I don't know if it's a holdover from last year, but for some reason or another, Shea Patterson, if he's put off schedule, I don't know that he makes the right reads, and I don't know if he makes the right decisions about running versus versus throwing. I know he was his running is a little skewed right now, just because he suffered an oblique injury the first play of the game of the season. He was hit on the hit on the side and uh, fumbled the ball, and that seemed to. According to the coaches and the players, it, it lingered for a couple weeks. But, but you know, against Iowa, felt like there were a lot of open players that he just couldn't find. And then for some of the primary reads in his progression, 
guys just weren't getting open. And and Iowa solid defense, sure, but these are this is supposed to be an offense that is top ten esque. That was what Josh Gaddis was hired to produce. Right. Uh, people, he's definitely his seat's warming up very quickly uh, now because you know it's one thing to struggle here and there. It's the Big Ten. Sometimes you'll have games where you where you don't score a lot. Uh, good teams and and great teams even have that. But suddenly we're five games in, and this is an offense that. Really, every across the board has regressed, and I know you had the question, um, you know, how is this was a team many people expected to to win the Big Ten? What has changed? I think one thing that has changed is Penn State and Wisconsin look look a little bit better with their new quarterbacks than maybe some expected. But the other thing that has changed is some of the things Michigan was leaning on: quarterback, receiver. They returned four starting offensive linemen, three of which I think will be drafted next spring, or at least before the season. I thought that. And then four of which had all Big Ten honors of some kind. It's really been a, a struggle. And so when the things that you're yeah. expecting to be good, those are supposed to be kind of the anchor points of Michigan's team this year. Meanwhile, the defense, plenty of encouraging things there. Maybe we can talk about that in a moment. But you know, the O line has struggled, the quarterback has struggled, and the receivers have really struggled. And I don't I, hard hard to tell from the press box if it's scheme or execution. But I think either way with the returning experience and the talent, I do think you have to look pretty harshly at the coaching. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, um, you know, from the outside, you know, not being just consuming Michigan every day, like you know, Jim Harbaugh, known as the, the offensive guy from Stanford with Andrew mm-hmm. Luck, all those guys, and being in the NFL, what he did with Kaepernick and all those guys. Um, what was what was the reason? Or were you guys surprised he made a big change like that? And do you think he could actually change back, or did he make this change for Shea Patterson? I know he's got some more talented guys like McCaffrey and Mixon back there too, right? So, like, is there a time that he would turn to one of those guys? Yeah, I think I think it became pretty apparent against Florida and Ohio State that that Harbaugh's offense had gone stale, and I think every coach mm-hmm. has those kind of moments where, well, you know, and. Football isn't the same as it was 10 years ago, and it, it sure isn't the same that it was. <laughs> I think Illinois fans are still waiting for Lovey Smith to do that. <laughs> and and so it was It was last year they ran a lot largely because Karan Higdon was, I mean, I think he had almost 1,200 yards rushing. He he could carry the offense, and, and you know, why why risk it? Why mix it up if, if that's what's working for the most part? I have some reasons why, but if you're Jim Harbaugh, at Stanford, you know, their offense was was good. I don't know that it it really did seem like their defense, you know, they played a lot of low-scoring games, a lot of possession football. And I think I looking back, I wonder if that just threw the Pac-12 for a loop whereas at Michigan, Big 10 teams are kind of used to seeing they see Wisconsin every year. Uh, you know, they see some of these other teams, Iowa, teams that really like to do a power run game and and they'll pass, but maybe it's not. It's it's more pro style passing. Uh, so I don't know. I wasn't surprised he changed it because that was the main thing. Every every fan, every everyone who every media reporter said, if Michigan wants to be good next year, they have to go get a modern offensive coordinator. It doesn't have to be a total switch. They did do a total switch, but they have to do something to modernize this offense. Uh, and as you mentioned. It's not just Shea Patterson, who is he's kind of that middle infielder, not quite dual threat, but athletic enough to to provide a second threat and keep defenses on their toes. But Dylan McCaffrey, who's faster, I mean his his brother's maybe the best running back in the NFL right now. 
Uh, so he's got some speed. And then Joe Milton, as you mentioned, uh, you know, he's he's compares himself to Cam Newton. I don't know if he's got Cam Newton's speed or elusiveness, but you know, big armed, big body, uh, and athletic enough to make some plays. And so I think I think Harbaugh looked at the quarterbacks he had and said, "Well, I can't ask him to be, I don't know, John, John Navarre or Tom Brady or guys guys who just don't really run the ball at all." They're, they you know, might as well Peters, keep. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I think, I think Peters at one point. <laughs> Had a pretty good forty time, but yeah, he's he's not known for being an athletic, uh, you know, RPO at least at Michigan in his time. You know, wasn't known for the RPO capabilities, and so so yeah, it was it was to keep defenses on their heels. So far, again, hard not to look at the first time coordinator and first time play caller and Josh Gaddis and say that that is the difference. That's the independent variable compared to last year versus this year. Uh, but everything's a read in their offense. It, it doesn't always seem uh, genuine. I think defenses have started to gauge when Shea Patterson might actually keep the ball versus when he won't. It's a work in progress, but at the same time with, with Michigan's schedule, uh, you can't really have a work in progress. You, right. you, you have Penn State next week and then Notre Dame the week after. Uh, you have, still have Michigan State and, and Ohio State too. Um, so, so, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. I, I do think... A game against Illinois can help maybe Patterson find a groove, help maybe the offensive line gain some confidence. We'll see. I mean, if they if they can get a nice pass rush, then then maybe not so much. But for I, I do want to ask about Illinois' offense too. Rod Smith, he's a name familiar to Michigan fans. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's looked upon overly fondly. You know, there were there were some nice plays and and some nice games here and there. What what has he added? And and you mentioned Lovey Smith. You're still trying to. Fans are still waiting for him to to modernize and to adapt his approach. Mm-hmm. Is that a defensive thing, or, or are there some things on offense that that maybe have gone a little stale too? Well, if you would ask Illinois fans coming into the year what gives them most faith, it, it would have been Rod Smith in, in this offense. Um, Rod completely changed the face of uh, what they did last year. I think he did modernize things. You know, um, mm-hmm. he, he went from Garrett McGee, who had some of the worst offenses in Illinois history, and had this kind of Louisville approach without the Louisville talent and tried this power run scheme when Illinois was undersized and it didn't work uh, in the Big Ten. But then they bring in Rod Smith, who kind of has this, you know, Rich Rod offense. I know it didn't work uh, when Rich Rod was there. Um, well, and the offense worked. Was, uh, sorry, to, sorry to cut yeah, you off. The Brady, offense worked well. The defense they just completely forgot right. about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Brady Hoke had success with those guys too, right, with like Denard, who they, those mm-hmm. guys recruited. but. You know, offensively, I think that thing was working. It's just, yeah, you were right. Defensively, it wasn't. But Rod, I mean, he brought in a grad transfer quarterback last year in A.J. Bush, and while he wasn't a good thrower, he was an elite runner. And it really mm-hmm. just opened things up um, with, with Reggie Corbin. Mike Epstein, who got hurt again this year, uh, was really good. But they were one of the best running teams in the country. They were number two in the Big Ten behind Wisconsin, number 12 overall in the country. Um, so we thought, you know, even with Brandon Peters coming in here, the offensive line returned four or five starters. Nick Algrady got drafted, is gone. He's kind of been the leader of that group. But they have a pretty good offensive line and a really good running back in Reggie Corbin who can make people miss and has put up huge numbers, whoever he's played against. But it just hasn't clicked this year. Um, Brandon Peters really opened up the passing game the first three games of the year. Mm-hmm. He had nine touchdowns to two interceptions. 
But um, we found out the last couple of weeks why, why he fell down on the depth chart at Michigan. He's, mm-hmm. he's looked tentative. Uh, he's looked really tentative in the pocket. His receivers haven't helped him. But, you know, he had nine touchdowns to two interceptions the first couple of weeks. Uh, the last two weeks he's got one touchdown to two interceptions, mm-hmm. completion rate under 50%. Um, you know, he hasn't gotten a lot of help from, from his receivers and some of his protection. But he's looking like a guy who's not reading the defenses very well. And he, he actually got out on a run, and he he has been more mobile than uh, I think he was given credit credit for, but they, Rod finally let him keep his own read option, and Brandon kept it and had a really nice gain, and I thought, yeah, that's what Illinois needs. Uh, then he got hit hard, looked like a concussion. I mean, mm-hmm. Illinois hasn't confirmed anything. but So he's up in the air, but uh, then Matt Robinson came in because Isaiah Williams is hurt, and Matt's a, a good athlete. Kind of gets the run game going a little bit, but okay. he doesn't have nearly as strong of an arm. So uh, he's a redshirt freshman. Has only thrown about thirty-three, thirty-four pass attempts. But <laughs> yeah, it's just it's a different offense without an elite runner like AJ Bush. So even though Bush was you know really inconsistent, um, you know maddening passer at times. He was just a battering ram and a really good athlete, and they really missed that weapon because it opened things up for everybody else. Yeah. No doubt. So I, I have a question because you mentioned in your question to me, you think you, you don't. No one in Illinois is expecting an upset here. Uh, Michigan has struggled no. on the road, but maybe this isn't the team where that where that's significant. So what what is the is there a, a recalibration of expectations after seeing the the two and three start? Is there is it higher than expected? I'm guessing it's not higher based on your tone. Is right. it lower yeah, than expected? I, I think- <laughs> I think most people expected Illinois to be three and zero to start the year, mm-hmm. and once they lost Eastern Michigan, because like I, I thought Brandon Peters would be the guy to keep you unscathed, and, and to, to his credit, Brandon Peters gave him a chance at the end of the Eastern Michigan game, but the defense uh, couldn't get a few stops. Um, okay. He had two really late touchdown drives that were really really good. But um, once that didn't happen, I thought this team lost confidence a little bit. But they came back against Nebraska, battled. Um, but it, it just feels like one of those seasons that can get out of control pretty quick. Because I mean, they had a schedule set up to where four and one was possible, uh, mm. to where you know even five and zero. Oh, I mean, Nebraska is not very good. Um, you know, Minnesota. I think they'll have a really good record, but they have mm-hmm. a really favorable schedule. Right. That's a team that Illinois should expect to beat after beating them last year. So I think the expectations going into the year, my I thought they'd be five and seven. Most of Illinois fans thought six and six, but. Right now, even with Purdue, Rutgers, and Northwestern on the schedule, and none of those teams are very good, um, I think most people project four or fewer now, which is why a lot of Illini fans are already talking about you know who the next coach is going to be, sure, yeah. whether Josh Whitman, the AD, will make that move. Because if they regressed after last year having a more talented team, um, with Lovey's defense, you know, still putting up, you know, historically bad numbers. Uh, I, th- I think rightfully that they should. So, yeah, I, I, I expect that to change. I- I'm wondering from the Michigan side of things that I, I do expect their offense to get right in this game. But um, I mean, if they're five and one, even with how bad of a game Wisconsin was, and even Army from, from a watching it perspective, and you know, even I, I know that people aren't all that happy with only scoring ten points against Iowa. Is there still a path to where that team can be a double-digit win team and almost live up to expectations? Do you think that's possible? I possible, sure. It, you know, I I was kind of waffling between. Well, I, I was I was all over the place before the season, but I settled on ten and two, and so I I saw a path where they go under just because the the schedule's tough. 
You know, the crossovers, right. it's Illinois, but it's also at Wisconsin and, and ho- hosting Iowa. And then non-conference includes Army, who was a top 25 team last year, and then Notre Dame, who is contending for a college football playoff spots. So that's that's a lot of heavy hitters on the schedule. So m- part of me wonders if maybe fans bought in a little too much, which which can happen if you return so many offensive players and so you kind of can visualize what a successful game looks like. But there's still a path. Ohio State, I don't think that they're – not yet. Ask me in three weeks if, if you really think anything's different, but my hunch is that, um, that that's already been decided. But they do host Michigan State. They host Notre Dame. Uh, Jim Harbaugh has, has only has four losses at home under in mm-hmm. his tenure at Michigan, and they were the two very fluky, very close games to Michigan State and then two to Ohio State. And so, you know, part I can see a path. Penn State, I'm very curious to see how they look at Iowa this weekend because yeah. the one good defense that they faced has been Pitt. And I will say, to Michigan's credit, the defense has really greatly improved. It, it looked rough against Wisconsin. We just talked to defensive coordinator Don Brown. A lot of it comes down to, I think there were a lot of poor decisions made on versus when you go into a gap and when you kind of wait and and maybe see where that running back is going to go. Pursuit angles were rough. They they got they got punched in the mouth, and they they weren't they weren't paying attention. They got punched in the mouth is is how I would describe that game. I think if they played now, I think it would be closer. I I still think Wisconsin would win, but I don't know that it would be the the bloodbath that it was. And and you've seen the defensive line has grown a lot. They just had eight sacks against Iowa, uh, thirteen tackles for loss. And then you saw they're starting to show a case a little bit of zone. This is something that Don Brown faced a lot of criticism about, that he tried to play Ohio State man-to-man defense the entire way last year. Everyone knows what that score was. And mm-hmm. and so there was some pressure on him to show some zone, and they, they started to. You know, We'll see what it looks like against some of the other uh, pass-happy teams, but the results against Nate Stanley were quite good. It was one of the worst games of his career. He threw three three interceptions, no touchdowns. They really only had one catch that was, uh, you know, above the 15, 20 yards. So I think I think there's a path. I don't think it's over. As I kind of mentioned, uh, maybe early on in the show or, or before we went on, it's that second loss that'll really change the expectations. That's where people throw in the towel a little bit. But with one loss, mm-hmm. you know, I think one comparison is 2016 Penn State. They went up to Michigan, lost 49 to 10 but then went on to get a lot better. Another team that had a new offense, they got a lot better, and they ended up winning the Big Ten title. So I, I think, and Josh Gaddis was a pass game coordinator for that team. And so I think they're, they're not quite out of it yet, but I, I certainly can see where Michigan fans are getting antsy and they want to see progress. And I'm sure, I'm sure the team does too. You know, we've talked to Shea Patterson. I mean, he, seemed, he seemed real sick of the questions on Tuesday where, and I, I don't blame him because it's the same thing where it's, why isn't the offense better? Well, if he if he knew why, I'm sure he would he would try to figure it out. But it's 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 unique in that it's across the board. It'd be one thing if it was just the run game or or just this position group or that position group, and that's where my expectations are reserved. I'm thinking eight and four is probably about right, just because I don't know if they'll yeah. be able to fix enough of their problems yet. So anyway, with yeah yeah I with mean, Saturday's we'll game, it out real pretty quick. We figured uh, out pretty quick with Penn State and Notre Dame, right? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. What this team's made of. Yep, absolutely. So, so Jeremy, what is what are Illinois fans watching this game? I mean, what's a 
you know, we're going to assume the result is what we expect. But what are some things right. that Illinois can show that would maybe reignite that hope, reignite that uh, the excitement for the season, and maybe, as you mentioned, maybe change those expectations, get people off the ledge a little bit? Is there anything they can show against Michigan, or is it is it something that has to be done against a different opponent? I mean, if you're in a game going into the fourth quarter, I think fans would be pretty happy with that because mm-hmm. I, I think most people think this will be over by halftime because um, that's just kind of what they're used to. And even with the struggles of the Michigan offense, I mean, Minnesota's offense had averaged 2.6 yards per carry. Hmm. Through most of that game, they were averaging about nine against wow. Illinois, <laughs> and they ran for 300-something yards, which is triple, right? So, like, I, I think I, that's the expectation is that Illinois is just not going to be able to be capable. But, you know, their takeaway ability with Michigan's offensive struggles, that leaves maybe a slimmer of hope that this can be a competitive game. But I, I think for Illini fans, if this is a competitive game, one or two scores going into the fourth quarter, I think they'd be pretty elated on that. Mm-hmm. Hey, if, if we play that way, you know, play clean football for the most part keep them under 35 points um i I think a line fans would feel like hey we can beat a purdue um we will beat Rutgers. we have a chance to beat you know northwestern or something like that but i think the talent gap is huge and without brandon peters who has struggled you know i even if he has struggled and illinois fans are kind of looking hey should somebody else play i just think his arm would open things up if, if, you know, he could complete some passes down the field with Matt Robinson. He just doesn't have the arm strength that I think is going to threaten Michigan. And I think, you know, as we talked about, I mean, Don Brown, I I think he's going to have a pretty good game plan for, for an offense who uh, passing wise is just not really a threat down the field right now. So uh, yeah, I I think most of the fans would be happy with that. I mean, Michigan fans, are, are they, not happy unless they score 30 something points against this kind of defense. They're not going to be happy unless it's like 50 to nothing. Michigan fans are a different kind of breed, especially, I mean, and, and I don't, I don't mean this to pick on them, but it has been 15 years since a big 10 title. Uh, Illinois has been to a Rose bowl more recently than Michigan. You know, it's been 20 years since a top five finish, despite having, you know, pretty routine expectations of doing so. And then of course, one in 14 against Ohio state, uh, you know, that's not something that these players did, right? They've only been here for a few years. That's not even something that Jim Harbaugh did. But fans are are frustrated with, you know, feeling so excited in August, and then by the time they get to November, they're already they're already tired of it and want to want to switch to basketball. And so it's, I think, I in some sense, I don't know if any Michigan fans are going to be. There's some fans that nothing Michigan can do will make them happy in this game. But I do think two things I'm keeping an eye on, of course, putting up the points and airing it out. Because again, if they run the ball, sure, you know, keep that in your pocket. But you're probably not counting on your running backs to win you a football game this year. You might be counting on that passing attack. So I think I wouldn't be surprised if they really try to hit the downfield passing attack hard. Uh, really try to try to do it in games. They they say they've done it in practice. Uh, we don't get to see practice, and so doing it in games apparently is a different challenge. And they they haven't quite done it multiple times in a drive or you know, multiple drives in a row just yet. And so so that's something I'm keeping an eye on. I also think, and this is this is maybe more of a me thing than than maybe the fans, but Michigan has really struggled in road games, particularly at the start. You know, I've been I've been fortunate enough to cover a lot of their road games under Harbaugh. Uh, all but all but the Rutgers ones, I I believe. And so I've seen them go down to Purdue and they're in a dog fight that they didn't expect to be in. I've seen them go to Indiana. Both times they've gone to Indiana that I've covered, 
they, it went into overtime. You know, Minnesota, they needed a goal line stand to get out of there. Uh, Maryland, there have been some sluggish efforts. You know, Penn State, Wisconsin, you've seen what those look like. The, the other team just comes out, and it helps to have Jonathan Taylor and Saquon Barkley, but just all of a sudden, immediately in a 14 nothing hole, faster than before a lot of fans even get into their seats. And so what I found in talking to a couple former players is that Jim Harbaugh does a lot of things well as a coach, but pep talks is not one of them. And when it's not at home and it's not a rivalry game and and you don't have the band and the and the banner and, and the big crowd and everything, they, they kind of come out sluggish. And so you know whether that's a trend now, it, it can't be for this team because they still have three more road games after this and, and they're going to be tougher. And so they need to, yeah. to me, I'm keeping an eye on what their body language is like early. Do they want to be there? Do they still have the chip on their shoulder? They, they've talked about the phrase they've used is brick by brick since that Wisconsin game. They want to rebuild their season. And to their credit, I mean, they can. They, they do control their own destiny in every way. But this is a game where you can lay down some bricks. And do they, do they come out looking like they're ready to do that? Or does it look like a get through it, uh, looking past Illinois type of situation? That would suggest right. to me maybe there's, there's still some mental toughness kinks to work out. But uh, anything yeah, else? The, the, the tra- trap game aspect of this. And I would expect Rod Smith, the Illinois offense coordinator, he should probably unload a bag of tricks for this one, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, Illinois, I mean, just matching up man-to-man isn't going to win that. So he's going to have to win through scheme and, and probably a little bit of trick. So that, that's what I'm interested because in, Isaiah Williams, it sounds like practice this week, they, they really shut down um, practice, uh, what we could see this week, too. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see if, if they roll out anything, if Isaiah Williams is more involved because he didn't even make the Minnesota trip. So um, I'm, I'm wondering if uh, he'll play a, a bigger role for this one because he's, he's one of the – electric playmakers. I mean, him and Reggie Corbin, I think even against Michigan, can find some ways. It's just, you know, Isaiah Williams only played two plays so far this year. So to see him uh, in, in bulk at, at Michigan would be interesting to see. Okay. Anything else, Michigan listeners, since they don't necessarily read about Illinois every day, yeah. anything else they should know? Uh, I think the basketball team will be pretty good this year. Okay. <laughs> uh, they're supposed to be. Uh, but also, Dick Buckus, the, the statue, is going to be unveiled for the first time this weekend. He'll be on campus, so I'm, I'm sure he'll be at the game. But if Michigan fans are making the drive down um, right by the stadium, they'll, they have a Red Grange statue, which is really cool. And, mm-hmm. you know, Illinois doesn't have a lot of recent history of success, but they obviously have a proud history of Red Grange and Dick Buckus. So uh, you'll be able to see that unveiled if you come down and make the trip. Cool. All right. All right. Uh Okay, well, with that, we can we can tidy this up. Thank you so much to Illini Inquirer listeners and, and Jeremy Werner for joining me. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. I'm Zach Shaw. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something, and we'll, we'll continue to discuss it. Look out for lots of preview coverage, and then, of course, we'll see you at the game.